God's History, Our Story. How many of you like history? It's one of my favorite subjects, and to this day, I prefer books set in historical periods than contemporary life. Yet history is one of the most fluid subjects there is today, ever-changing and evolving depending on who's recounting the events. Rabbi Ken Sapiro calls history the testing ground of ideas and quotes one 18th century politician who said, history is philosophy with examples. For instance, some search for evidence of minorities who've been silenced from history by their oppressors. This was evident in the rewriting of history after democracy outlawed apartheid, separatism, and elitism. In the same way, we see evidence of this in our own nation as greater attention is given to the significance of Africans and African Americans in the building of our nation into a world power. While it's absolutely necessary to turn up the light on the importance of a silenced and one-time enslaved people, sadly, the indigenous people of America remain in the periphery and their voices muted, although their influence in the development of our nation is without compare. Women also have endeavored to have their role recognized on the national and world stage and shift the lens to speak of her story in their search for signs of female engagement in both worldly and biblical events to resist the patriarchal subjugation and elevate their significance. As Christians, we may say that the Bible recounts historical events from the viewpoint of his story, referencing that the entire book from Genesis to Revelation recounts the tireless efforts of God from Genesis to Revelation to seek a meaningful relationship with his creation. In a similar manner, we see the clarification of Jewish history presented in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, to include the presentation of the Messiah, long promised by the prophets, and now actualized in the life, death, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to be studying today as we look together at Acts 13, 13 through 43. And although it's a long passage, significant elements can be consolidated to see its application to our lives today. Did you know that Judaism is the world's oldest monotheistic religion, the belief in one God, and dates back nearly 4,000 years? In fact, it's shaped the culture and belief systems of many people in the world today, including, of course, Christians and Muslims alike. What is not often recognized is that Judaism laid the groundwork for social reform, teaching that humanity has the responsibility to stop injustices. Moreover, Megan Connors writes that the Jews were the first to decide that it was their responsibility as the chosen people to fight against inequality in the world. And it's a history of minorities that illustrates both persecution and perseverance. But what is their responsibility as assigned by God? According to Rabbi Sapiro, it is tikkum olam, to fix the world, to bring humanity back to the purpose of creation and create the most spiritually, morally perfect world possible. And learning from the past is the key to making the right decisions for the future. 
We see this evidence when Peter spoke to the astonished crowd at Pentecost in Acts 2, recounting the words of the prophet Joel that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon a people and concluding with the powerful invitation that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And to his Jewish listeners, he reminds them of the patriarch David who spoke of the Messiah's resurrection and the promise that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. In conclusion, Paul, Peter appeals to them to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Similarly, Stephen gives a lengthy account of Jewish history to the enraged high council in Acts 7. He starts with Abraham, a man who answered God's call to come out from the godless nation of the Chaldeans and live apart for him. He spoke of Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David, who all tried to lead their people to earthly and heavenly freedom, but faced resistance from those who refused to listen and receive the truth. Philip was more successful in reviewing the words of the prophet Isaiah to the eager Ethiopian eunuch who embraced the good news about Jesus and sought baptism. So too did Cornelius' household when Peter spoke to them that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all, and telling them John's message of repentance and baptism, as well as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the one appointed by God and the one the prophets testified about. He would be the one that through whom everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Finally, we reach Paul's message to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who will come to the synagogue for Sabbath services in Antioch of Pisidia. This Antioch was considered the most important city in that part of Asia Minor and the chief military and political center of the southern part of the Galatian province. A normal service would open with the reading of Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up and tie them on your forehead and on your arms and write them on your doorpost. Let everyone see them everywhere. Synagogue leaders would follow this with a passage from the Mosaic Law and a related passage from the prophets and then invite another learned person to give an address. Thus, it's within this context that Paul has been asked to speak. And it's then that Paul delivers his historical address, starting with God's choice of the Jewish people, even helping them to multiply and grow strong while enslaved in Egypt. Then God delivered them with a powerful army, writes, and put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, finally leading them to the promised land. We can see a similar reference to this history in Deuteronomy 32 when Moses says, Remember 
the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he'll inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. Paul's listeners would clearly remember the promises of God, his choosing of them, his supernatural deliverance and divine gifting of land and eternal relationship. Moreover, they'd remember the history of the judges and the pleading for a king only to get the spiritually destitute Saul as their first king who is, thank you, Jesus, replaced by David, a man after God's own heart who will do everything God wants him to do. Like his predecessors, Paul leads directly from David to Jesus, the promised Savior of Israel. He stops at this dramatic moment and addresses the crowd, and by, and by our reading of this passage, addresses us as well. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. Once again, he points out that these people have been specifically selected to hear the good news. The leaders in Jerusalem, like the prophets of old, may have rejected the chosen one, the Messiah, and killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And to prove it, Jesus appeared to many from Galilee to Jerusalem. And now, Paul says, we're here to bring you this good news, a promise made and fulfilled, spoken by David in Psalm 2 and Psalm 16, as well as the prophet in Isaiah 55. Paul declares emphatically that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, making a universal invitation to all peoples everywhere. He reminds them that the law of Moses does, does not offer such salvation, only condemnation for failure to meet impossible standards of righteousness. But his warning is clear. Don't neglect this gift. Don't mock these truths, for God's promises of redemption have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the yes and amen of God. Paul writes this in his second letter to the Corinthians, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us Along with you to stand firm for Christ, he has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. In Paul's first recorded sermon, he follows the pattern set by Peter and others before him, recounting how God has customized the history of Israel to lead to a singular culmination, the presentation of his son, Jesus Christ, as savior of the world. Through this history lesson, it's evident that the God of the universe acts in human history, intervening, organizing, uprooting, and planting to lead us all to one destination, a life forever with him. 
a life forgiven of its faults and failures, a life restored to new life through a new birth, a life filled with power and purity through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How can we say no to such a gift? How can we despise such generosity? How can we resist such a call? Let us be as eager as Paul's listeners were who begged to hear more. And now today, as as you look at your history, not at your eulogy or your obituary or your tombstone, if you're going to have one, but the history that you've made with others. For we are a timeless people, and our legacy is the life we've lived, the life we've shared, the investments we've made, the selfless gifts we've given, the message we've heard and believed at the cellular level, allowing it to change us from the inside out. Have we allowed God's history to be our story? to live for him, to speak for him, to know him and make him known. That's his call for us. That's his commissioning of us. What will we answer him? God bless you, beloved. God bless you.